And hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of First John. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have super nice people who love to give you a Bible. So if you don't own a Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, you forgot your Bible, just throw your hand up and grab one of these and take it as our gift to you so you can have your own copy of God's Word, that you can bring your own to church. This could be it, all right? So, so grab this, grab this copy of God's Word, turn to the book of First John. We've been tracking through this letter um, by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes this letter to the churches surrounding uh, this, this area of Ephesus, and yet it's also to us here. As you're turning to 1 John, go, go to chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 11 to 24 this morning. As you're going there, you know, I was thinking about this, that as, as Christians, we're, we're always looking for ways, and many Christians are looking for ways to kind of mark ourselves, to identify ourselves so the world looking in knows that we're Christ followers. That there's something identifiable about what we got on us. I mean, when I was in, in college, it was all about the Christian t-shirts, right? You, you take a logo, you rip it off, you turn it into something Christian, and you wear that shirt. Like, see, what up? I, I'm a Jesus follower, right? Or, or remember WWJD bracelets? They were the rage, right? The, you would wear this, what would Jesus do bracelet? And it was to remind you, I want to live my life like Jesus. But it was also just this sign that you would know, man, I'm a Christ follower. I, I remember in college, you, you, I would see like athletes, with a WWJD bracelet, you're like, what? They know Jesus, how cool, right? And you just know, because they got that on. Or maybe it's a Jesus fish on the back of your car, right? Now, I remember as a kid, I used to think, man, a lot of people in our church sure love Captain Highlander fish, uh, fish sticks, because they got them all, right? It's, it's this sign you've got of, of this is what it means for me. I want, I want people to know that I'm a Christ follower. But then, then Jesus, though, he, he, he says in John chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, but he, but he says something to his disciples. He says, this is actually the mark. This is how people will know that you follow me. And, and Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet, which was a, a horrible job, a job usually given to the lowest of the servants. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to do that. I'm going to show how much I love and care for you, my disciples, by lowering, humbling myself to do this act of love. He does that, and then he says to them this. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you're to love each other. And then he says this, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have a love for one another. An astounding statement by Jesus. Here he is creating this new community, creating this, this new group of people. And he says, you're gonna be so different from the world around you and that this community that he's creating, that he's developing, he's gathering this people around that he's going to call the church. And he says, listen, you're going to be a light, a light that shines on a hill. You're going to be something the world will look in on and see me. And one of the primary ways you're going to shine brightly in your world is the way you love each other. I mean, Jesus is saying, I mean, listen, this is huge. This is huge. Jesus is essentially turning to the world and he's saying to the world, hey, 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 you want evidence. You want a way to look in and see if, if these people really are truly my followers Then you, the world. He's talking to the world. You look in and see how they love each other. It's like Jesus is saying to, to Muskoka, hey, Muskoka, you want to know if that Harvest Church is a real, true church of mine? Then you get to come in. You get to watch, and you get to look in and see, see if they love each other. And how they love each other will be an evidence to you whether or not they're truly my followers. And so all the way throughout the New Testament, you, you hear this repeated over and over again, this call for us to love each other, that the world would look in on us and would see something different about us. 
I mean, if you've been to a wedding, you normally hear 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, right? And it gives kind of the definition of, of what love is. And I mean, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes in all things. Love endures in all things. So, so think about those verses, usually read at a wedding, how a husband and wife should love each other. But listen, Jesus says we should have a love the world looks in on and goes, hey, I know those are Christ followers. How? I mean, because of how patient they are because of their contentment, because of their modesty and humility, that because they're not rude, because they, they seek the best for others, because, man, it's so hard to make them angry, because they, they don't keep count of wrongs done to them, because, because man, evil seems to break their hearts, but they rejoice in, in truth, and they, they protect the defenseless, they lift up the weak, they, they have a hope and a perseverance, they, they bear with each other. Because here's the deal. People cannot physically see God the Father, but they can see us demonstrating his love on display for them to see. I mean, this is the church I pray we would be as harvest. In this letter through 1 John, he's, he's really been, been laying out for us, hey, hey, what does a Christ follower look like? But for this morning, man, he, he's, he's giving kind of a group thing again, going, this is what we look like together. This is what kind of church we want to be. What is it? It's this. If you're taking notes, here's our first point, that we'd be a church captivated and compelled by the love of God. We'd be captivated and compelled by the love of God. Remember last week, we, we started off chapter 13 with verse 1, where John's like, I can't believe this love of God. This, this love, it's, it's a love that's, that's out of this world, captivated by it. That, that we'd be a people who, who can never get past the love of God, never stop being amazed by amazing grace. That we, we would never go into these religiously boring, going through the motions, surface only apathetic, I go to church sometimes, I kind of weave in, weave out, and, and I, I, no, but our worship would be full, our lives filled, why? Because we're in awe at the grace of God, the love of God poured out for us, that, that we, we wouldn't excuse sin, it's not about, well, God loves me so I can do whatever I want, no, we're so amazed that he loves us, that we, we, we bring our sin into the light and say, here it is, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to follow you. My prayer is this, that that love, we'd be so captivated by it that we'd be defined by that love. I mean, think about all, all the different personalities in this room right now. All, all the different places we've come from, all the, all the different ages, the different life stages, the different, the different ways we look at life, the different political ways we might lean, all the differences that are here, different wealth and, and, and different jobs and different education. What is it that makes us one? What is it that unites us? It's that we're captivated by the love of God. And that love then overflows, that, that we recognize, wait a minute, that love of God shown to us by Jesus, it's not just something that we admire, it's actually something that we imitate. So we're, we're captivated, but then we're compelled by this love. Look, look at verse 11 as we jump into the text this morning. Verse 11, it says this, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, 
He's saying, man, I've been saying this throughout this whole letter. This is what I've been saying, but he's probably going back further than that. Maybe going back to when Jesus says, here's a new commandment I give to you, that you love each other. Where Jesus said to someone who said, what's the greatest commandment? Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, your soul, and mind. Here's the second one, love each other. John's saying this, you've heard this from the beginning, what? That we should love one another. That we should love one another. What's that mean? That we would be compelled, that we'd be so captivated by this love of God, we'd be compelled to what? To seek to give love out. That we wouldn't just be receiving love from God or even just receiving love from each other, but we'd be coming into here in church. We'd be coming into small group, coming into this, this family of God and saying, man, I want to give love. I want to give love in my family. I want to give love to the people God's brought around me. I want to move from being a consumer at church to being a partner in this love of God. So I, I, I move from, hey, what can this church do for me? I move away from, hey, what does Harvest offer? Listen, if you're coming here because of stuff we offer, if you're coming for programs and bells and whistles, man, you are going to be somewhat disappointed in our church, all right? We don't have everything in order. We, we don't have a ton of programs, and the programs we have, sometimes they don't run real smooth, right? But here's what you can expect. My, here's what I hope my prayer would be about us. Not that we would have a slicker church programs, but this, that we'd be so captivated by God's love, so compelled by God's love, that we truly are a family of God. That as a church, that, that this love we have, that it would, it would spread out across Muskoka, and, and Muskoka would look in and go, man, that church loves each other. That's what we need to be known for. Jesus said in John 13, listen, they'll know you're my followers by how much you love each other, that you love each other the same way I loved you. Are we, are we captivated by that love? So much so that we're compelled to live it out. Now John, John laying this out for us, he starts with a contrast saying, hey, you need to love each other. Let, let me show you what love is not. Let me show you what love is not. Verse 12 to 15, he says this, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. What does, this, what does not love abides in death? Everyone who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John's laying it out here. He goes, hey, here's what love is not. And he gives this example of Cain. Let me catch you up a bit on Cain and Abel. If, if you know, you do the yearly Bible reading, and, and you know, you read about Cain and Abel back in January, right? And now you're pushing through Leviticus going, will I ever get through this, right? But you're Cain and Abel, right? You know the story. So Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve, and, and God calls them to worship him. And so, so Abel, he's, he's, he's a rancher. And so what does he bring to worship God? He brings his livestock. Cain is a farmer. He brings the, the, the produce, the harvest that he's got. And what are they doing? God's saying, hey, hey, I want you to worship me, and I want you to bring, in Genesis, as they bring their first fruits. What's that mean? It means this. It means that, hey, I'm bringing not, I'm not taking what I earn and saying, I'm going to pay the bills with this. I'm going to save up for vacation with this. I'm going to save up for my retirement with this. It's before all of that first fruit is, I'm giving this to the Lord as an act of worship. How is it worship? Because we're saying, you know what, Lord? I want to give this to you and I'm going to trust you with the rest of this. 
I want you to have my best. I want you to have my first. And that's what God calls them to do. So, so Cain and Abel both bring first fruits. They bring the first of what they have. Abel bringing livestock, Cain bringing crops. Now, it says in Genesis, it says here that, that God accepted Abel and his worship, but rejected Cain. Now, why did God reject Cain? Obviously, God does not like a vegetarian option, right? He's like, no, I'm, I'm about red meat. <laughs> Probably not that. If you're a vegetarian, that's not it, all right? Maybe, maybe Cain didn't actually bring his best. Maybe Cain brought Brussels sprouts and turnip, and he, and he held onto the mangoes and the strawberries for himself, right? It doesn't say that either. What happened? In the book of Hebrews, it says that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. Here's what I believe. I believe Cain was doing the religious thing. He, he was kind of doing that whole, I go to church, I sing some songs, his heart so far from worship, not actually bringing worship, not, not captivated by God's love, not transformed by God. It's this superficial following. And, and you, you see that. How do we know that he didn't have the love of God in him? You see it because he murdered his brother. His heart was filled with hatred and jealousy. And John says, why did he murder him? And it's interesting, that word murder, he could have chose a few different words there for murder, but in the, in the original, the word is actually he slaughtered his brother. He, he, he slits his brother's throat. Now, now, why is that important? Well, you have to remember that God had sacrificed an animal to cover Adam and Eve's shame, remember? remember? And, and that's the, the, the picture that we now get going down throughout the, Israel's history is that they would sacrifice animals. Why? This picture of death needs to happen, right? To pay for the sin, and that death pays for. And then Jesus comes as the lamb of God, the lamb of all lambs, to be the final sacrifice. And so, so when Cain kills Abel, what's he doing? He's saying to God, you want your sacrifice? Here's your sacrifice. He kills his brother. That's a messed up heart, isn't it? But look what John says. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain. You gotta stop there after you know the whole story. You go, really, John? Really? You're gonna tell me don't be like Cain? Like, do you really need to tell me that? That I shouldn't slaughter my brother? Well, the implication of John saying this is, well, yeah, we need to be told this. Why? Because we can be like Cain. That, that, that maybe that murder that came out of Cain's heart, maybe that's in us too. Oh, oh, for sure, we would never act on our jealousy or our bitterness or our hatred in a way that we would actually kill somebody. But what's Jesus say in John 15? If you hate your brother or sister, you have murder in your heart. You've killed them. It's just the hard attitude's the same. John's saying here, listen, verse 13, he goes, listen, there's enough of that hatred in the world. The world's gonna hate you for following Jesus. That, that's already going on out there. The, the world is filled with that kind of hatred. Right? Spend 15 minutes on Twitter and you'll see it. Right? Our world is just angry. People are mad all the time. And John's going, there's enough of that out there. Don't, don't turn that anger towards your own team, towards your own family. He's saying this, don't, don't allow a bad conversation to separate a relationship. Don't allow the enemy to get a foothold in this church. Instead, we're called to love one another. Because here's the thing, listen, it is so easy to be Cain. It's easy to be jealous. 
It's, it's easy to have anger and bitterness. It's, it's so easy to gossip about people. It's so easy to avoid people we don't like hanging out with. It's so easy to leave a community to say, I'm done with this church because that person and I'm out of here. Listen, it's so easy to do that. It doesn't take a work of God for those things to happen. Everybody does that. That's normal life. That's the world looking in going, yeah, for sure. They act like we do. That's what I would do. I would leave too. I'd be angry too. I would separate as well. I would gossip too. I would be jealous. I would be bitter. But listen, to forbear with somebody, to forgive someone who's hurt you, to get face to face with somebody and walk through hurt and sin and pain and then begin to walk out reconciliation. To be able to say, listen, I know you've hurt me and wounded me, but, but I'm not leaving. I'm not pulling away. And I want to press in together towards Christ in this. And man, I'm hearing stories like this in our church, even just this week. Stories like this and, and stories with, with so much sin involved, so much brokenness in the relationship. And as these people now go, let's walk this out. I, honestly, I'm thinking, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Only God can do this. It's the work of the Spirit. It's Jesus on display. And so what do we need to do? Harvest, listen, we need to get low. We need to forgive. We need to lead each other, lift, lift each other up. We need to, to lean into forgiveness, <coughs> to look past offenses, to get over jealousy. <coughs> we need to seek reconciliation. Why? Because the enemy wants us to divide. The enemy wants us not to love each other. The enemy wants us to sit back apathetic and cold, wants us to sit back religious in what we do, disengaged. The enemy wants us to be angry. The enemy wants us to be bitter. The enemy wants us to be upset. But look at verse 14. He says, well, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We've, we've gone from death to life, he's saying. If you know Jesus, you've passed from death to life. You, you don't live in that death anymore. And that's where the anger belongs. That's where the jealousy, the gossip, the, the, the hurt, the murder, it belongs in death. That's the heart of a murder and you don't have that anymore. Because if you have that heart, there's not eternity in that heart. Now listen, praise God that murderers, literally murderers, can be set free by God's grace. But if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have Moses and Paul and David, right? But murders can be set free. They can experience the transforming grace of God. And what happens is the murdering heart is transformed, just like ours. And you now have life. You have life in God's spirit, God's spirit at work in you, changing you every day. Now, how do you know? How do you know you've got that spirit in you? He says, because you love each other. The, the old is put to death. You have this new life in you. And, and you're not loving people sacrificially to earn God's love. No, that's been taken care of as you pass from death to life. By Jesus' sacrifice, you've been justified, made new. But what he's saying is the evidence of that happening is you've got this love, a love that the world can't explain. If anger keeps coming out of your heart, it's revealing the old, dead self is still moving. If you're a Christ follower and you see this hatred and you see anger or bitterness or jealousy or gossip or unforgiveness or you see apathy and coldness towards others, if you see yourself in favoritism, listen, it's the old self coming back up out of the grave. And then I think so often we kind of treat the old self like a whack-a-mole, right? I'll just tap it down. 
We'll top it down. There, there's again. And, and whack-a-mole just keeps coming up. You're topping, topping, topping. Listen, that's not what it is. If it's truly the dead self coming out, you don't just tap that down. Man, I've seen enough zombie movies. You just push a zombie away, right? You got to take him out, right? You got you to put him down. Man, like, okay, I've seen a zombie movie. It's okay. Move past it, right? You have to, all right? John Owen says it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We don't take it lightly. When that whack-a-mole comes up, we're like, man, what's beneath that? That's my old dead self that's, that's been put to death by Christ. Man, I'm taking that out. And so we give that old self over to Christ and we fight for this love. We fight against the bitterness and the anger. We fight against our, our tendency that, man, I want to gossip. I want to talk. No, no, I don't want that. That's the dead self. I'm putting it down. It's a zombie that needs to be taken out. And we fight for it. Why do we fight for it? Because it doesn't just magically appear. I mean, especially in the context of church, this kind of love will not just magically appear. Because here's the thing, in church, you have relationships you didn't choose. Or you might be in a small group going, man, I didn't choose this small group. These people are weird, right? And they're thinking the same thing about you, right? And you come into church and you gather like this and sometimes you're, you're sitting around people like, man, these aren't the people that I would choose. But God says, yeah, but I chose them for you. This is your family. Fight for this. And so we fight, we fight for this love by faith and we, we grab a hold of this truth that, man, I don't live in death any longer. I've been made new and I've got the power of God's spirit in me and he's growing me and changing me. I'm becoming more like Christ so that, that, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that jealousy, that hatred, that anger, that gossip, man, that doesn't define me any longer. And you're growing more and more in love. Now, what's it, what's it look like, though? Well, what does it practically look like? In verse 16, John begins to lay out now what love is. He said, that's what love is not. Now, now let's look and see what love is. Verse 16, he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. What is this love? I mean, if, if Jesus is the one we're becoming more and more like by the power of his spirit, what, what would this love look like? What did Jesus do to show his love? John says here he laid down his life. I mean, this love on display, practically speaking, is, is someone voluntarily laying down their life, this self-sacrificing love shown by Christ. I mean, you, you think about it, what's the most valuable possession that you have? The most valuable thing that you have? It's not your car, it's not your house. The most valuable thing you have is your life, right? If you think about that, so if, if love is being willing to give up what's most precious to you, most valuable to you, and you give it up, why? To love others, then, then think about what that looks like. If you're living like Christ, you're willing to give up the greatest possession you have for your brothers and sisters. That's what it looks like. So, so then what what? What are we allowed to take off the table then that's lesser than our life? But we go, no, 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 I'm not giving that. When Jesus says, no, you give it all. We don't just want to admire Jesus' sacrifice, man. We want to imitate it daily. So think about that. What's it look like for you to lay down your life every day? You have opportunities for it every day. 
how you interact with your spouse, that, that moment where in your heart you say, no, I'm not doing that, that's gonna cost too much, I don't wanna do that. And it, it could be the most simplest of things where, where you know in your heart it's time to serve your spouse. Now I wanna I want do this for them, but you're like, no, they'll do it, I'll just sit back. If I'm quiet enough, they'll take care of it. You have an opportunity to lay down your life right there. You have an opportunity to lay down your life for your family, for your kids. You have an opportunity, students, to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in your home, for your, for your parents to go, you know what, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna serve in my home. I'm, I'm gonna lay that down. I'd rather do this today, but I know what's going on in the house. Man, I'm gonna step up and I'm gonna serve. You have an opportunity to do it at school. As a student, you have an opportunity to do it at work. Every day, you're presented with these opportunities to say, I'm laying down my life again today. I mean, you can see how it's done. John rolls it out for us. Look at verse 17. He said, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So how do we have this kind of love? Notice a progression that John lays out for us there. He says, if you see your brother or sister in need, so it starts there. Are you actually seeing it? Are you seeing the need around you? you? You can't just listen. You can't just, in a church context, just show up every so often. Not be connected. Not jump into any relationships. Not jump into a small group. Not have any, any relationships that you don't handpick. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to have these friends. And listen, if you do that, you're not going to be able to see. You won't see the needs that, that God's brought into your path that your brothers and sisters have. So first, we need to see the needs. But then there's this outward action. He says, you move on that. You see it, and then you move. If you don't make the move, he goes, man, you don't have the love of God abiding in you, but, but when you see it and you move, it's this demonstration of Christ's love in you with this outward action. I mean, think about what that would look like just here. If, if we had a shift of mentality in our church, you know, I think a lot of people come to church, a lot of people come here to harvest, and what are they doing? You're coming and you're looking for love, Right? And, and I love that you would come here and you'd be like, I, I hope I get love there. That's the place I should experience love. And so you come here with, with hurts, with brokenness, with pain, with needs, whether practical needs or spiritual needs. And you come here going, man, I need love. And you come here for that. Man, that is so good. Praise God that you're here. But here's something I want us to consider. So many coming looking for love. How many people coming looking to love? I mean, think about your personal pursuit of why you come to church. Whether it be Sunday or small group. I think so many, so many times, many of us come and we have a, more of a, a self-centered mentality of I'm looking for love and I love that you can find that here. I love that people will love you. That's what we want to be as a church. But what would happen if more of us, if as a whole community, we came in here asking, where can I love? Where can I lay down my life for someone today? And listen, that, that won't always be easy. This is not an easy family to be a part of. We're a messy family at times, not a pretty family. Listen, I don't know what kind of family you grew up with, but my own family was not a pretty family. There was a lot of dysfunction at times, and it happens here too, right? Because we're made up of, of broken people, all seeking after Christ. We, we can't lift up one person as, well, you're my hope. Pastor, you better be perfect at this loving thing because you're my hope. Forget that. I'm a beggar right along with you, pointing you as beggars to where there's bread. That's all we're doing together. So it, it can be hard. It won't always be easy. 
But listen, if you're just coming and going, you're, you're not engaged in other people's lives, then you've missed the heartbeat of what Christ has for us as a church. You're missing the heartbeat of God the Father. If we come here looking to love, what's gonna happen? You'll see needs. And you'll meet them. Why? Because you're engaged, you're active, you're not merely looking for love. You're saying, I'm also looking to serve and give love. And I'm telling you, it's happening here. Let, let, let me just share real quickly some ways I see it being lived out in our church even right now. I see it being lived out in, 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 a, in a bunch of ways. One way is, is people who are sick. I man, I love that I keep hearing, you know, I'll hear after the fact, yeah, so-and-so's been out, they've been sick, but man, people just rallied around them, right from the smallest of, they've been out with the flu and they're, they're like a mom and so their kids are kind of like, we need a mom. So people jumped in with food and, and to come and help out during that time to, to the greater needs of, of long-term illness where people say, we are going to walk with you all the way through however long this is. I mean, I'm telling you, I've been in the homes. I've been there praying with a couple and the most encouraging thing for me as I'm praying people and saying, hey, how can we love you? How can we as a church come alongside you? The most encouraging thing is while I'm doing that, watching people from this church come and go, bringing meals, taking care of kids, saying, hey, what do you guys need? How much money is this gonna cost you guys? Hey, do you need a drive somewhere? And we're seeing that over and over again. I just pray that God would continue that. Where else do we see it? We see it where there's sin and brokenness. I'll say this, that there are some deep and dark sins represented all the way across this room. This church is not a made-for-TV Hallmark movie, right? Like there are some, some, some difficulties, some sins, some brokenness in this room and opportunities for grace to be displayed. And I've, I've seen it firsthand as sin is revealed and the world looking in just brings scorn and heaps more shame on those sins. And, and even people who call themselves Christians step in with judgment and shunning. But, but you guys, listen, I love watching as you guys embrace the repentant. Not coddling, like if there's sin, I mean, I love hearing about small groups and people come alongside, I go, man, this isn't good. You need to be called out of that and with love calling out the sin, but then walking with those who are repentant, saying, man, we're gonna walk this out together. I'm seeing it here every week. Again, just this past week alone, I've heard three or four stories of, of sin revealed, pain revealed, exposed, the hurt of that sin. But then, then, then there's this spirit created, this, this world looking in and off. They knew what was happening. And it's, again, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground because God is doing something as, as people walk towards reconciliation, as people walk towards forgiveness. May we, may we continue to show the love in those ways. Here's another way I've seen it displayed in our church and praise God for it. It's where there's life struggles. It's where there's life struggles. And here's the thing, I'm giving these as examples so we can celebrate what God's doing, but maybe it sparks in you, hey, here's a way I need to love. Life struggles in our church, and there are many, and, and here, here's just one way where you see a lot of these struggles being loved on is, is through our benevolence. We just had the report done just about a month ago as they looked over 2018 and the finances of 2018. In our benevolence alone, $80,000 given out to help out needs. That's, that's unbelievable. Given out in things like gas cards or food cards to, to get people through a week they wouldn't be able to get through. 
given out and, and where, where bills need to be paid and somebody just, whether through sickness or, or hardship, are, are stuck. And man, I need this bill paid. I need this rent paid. Or I need this house repair done and I can't afford it. I, I need this car repaired. I, I need snow tires and I, I can't afford them. And, and you guys come alongside. And I, mean, I love even things that aren't so much financial, but put the shoulder to the work of how much firewood is given out throughout our community here. As people say, we're going to get together. We're going to cut, split, and deliver firewood to people who, who need it. I love that. I love hearing about people who just hear about a need and it, they don't need the church to go, here's the official need. And you, you hear about people going, yeah, I've been saving up money. And I don't know what I was saving it for. I mean, maybe it's something I really want, but then I heard of this need. I mean, I just, I knew I had to give it. I knew I had to be a part of taking care of my brother or sister. I've heard stories of small groups pooling their resources to buy someone a vehicle. Pooling resources to help people through tough times. That's what John's talking about here. And he's saying, hey, not just in word or deed, not just talking about it, but this love of God overflowing from you. Like I said before, if you're looking for a church filled with a ton of great programs, we will probably fall short of your expectations. But listen, here's what we want to strive to be, and it's to be Christ-like in our love for each other, to truly be a family of God together. Now, there's a reward for this. Here's the great part. You think that God's love alone would be reward enough, but real quickly as we wrap this up, there's a reward for this community kind of sacrificial love. And here it is. If you're taking notes, it's our final last point this morning. I can have confidence in God's love. As you live this out and you're in a community living it out, as you are captivated by God's love, compelled by God's love, you will have this confidence in his love. There'll be no more condemnation. I mean, here's the thing, though. Maybe even in this sermon, you're hearing me preach about what it looks like to live out the love of Christ, and, and you can hear that little voice in your head, and it, it's a condemning voice. You don't do this. You're not engaged in this way. You're not participating in the church life like this. You're, you're not serving people like this. And you, you hear that condemnation, and you, you hear that, man, you're, you must not love Jesus. You call yourself a Christian, and, and your heart's filled with that. But listen to what John says in verse 19. By this we shall know that we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if, your heart does not, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And that, that is just a phenomenal verse. He's saying, if your heart condemns you, if your heart speaks condemnation over you, what's John saying? God's greater than that. He's greater than your heart. He sees your heart. He sees the intentions of your heart. He sees the motives of your heart, and he loves you all the same. Listen, as your heart is captivated by God's love, and, and you're compelled to, to live it out, to loving others, and even as you stumble and fall in that, because you won't do it perfectly, as you reach out, as you live this out, as you, you, you try to live out that kind of love, you're showing the love of Christ in you. You're, you're showing. John's saying it's the evidence of that. It's the evidence that you've been transformed. You've been justified. You've been made right before God. And John's saying, listen, if you've been justified, nothing you do or don't do will remove your legal adopted status in God's family. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. 
It's through Christ. You are who God says you are. No one else can tell you who you are, not even your heart that condemns you. I think about God's love this way. Imagine if, you are, um, if you're a single person, imagine this. If you're, if you're married, remember back when you were single. I've heard someone say it this way. Imagine that you, oh, the whole time as a single person, you had to wear a, a warning on you, kind of like, you know how a pack of smokes has the warning. This causes, and there's a nasty picture of what it causes. Imagine you had to wear that, right? Here's the warning if you want to marry me, right? You'd have that on you. Warning, horrible morning breath, Right? <laughs> Warning, snores loud. Warning, bitter and angry. Warning, whatever that warning might be, right? You've got all, like, you would never be able to get married, right? You wouldn't be able to get a date. But here's the thing, what's John saying? God knows all of that about you and more, and he chose to love you. John goes on, the last two verses here. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he's commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. He's saying, listen, this love of God in you, when you start to be captivated by, I can't believe that God loves me that way. He says, you'd be able to just call out to God and say, Lord, would you grow this love in me? And God goes, I love to answer that prayer. And God gives you a confidence in, and as you call out to him in prayer, a confidence in action as you move out boldly and seek to serve God in faith. Where you're saying, God, I'm trusting you with this. I'm moving out on, on faith in this. And, and you've got the spirit of God. You've given him to me that he's now living in me and working in me. And you walk out this love and say, Lord, would you show this love to my community? Would you use me to do it? God, would I pray more bold prayers to see this happen? John's saying, when we do this, when we call out boldly for that, when God answers those prayers and we begin to have this confidence that the spirit of God that he's given us is at work in us, when we know this, listen, it changes us. This love of God in us, the spirit of God at work in us, it changes us. I would say this, you cannot say that you've been captivated by God's love if you're not compelled by God's love. If there's no change in you, you probably haven't been captivated by God's love. I've heard one person say it this way, if I were to walk in this morning and come up on stage and say to you, hey, you know what? Just as worship was ending, I was running in here to preach and I was hit by five snowmobiles, one after the other. They knocked me down. They dragged me all the way down the road and all the way back. Can you believe it? You'd be like, no. No, because you look fine. You look as normal and dorky as you always do. You, if you were hit by five snowmobiles, man, we would, you would be bloody, man. You would be knocked over. You would be wet and, and messed up from the slush and the mud, man. There would be a difference. So here's the thing. When we say, man, I have been captivated by God's love. It has overwhelmed me. There should be some evidence of that. Amen. If you don't see yourself more forgiving, more loving, more giving, it's a sign that you may never have encountered the love of Christ. Or if you are a Christ follower, you're so far removed from it. Because you can't experience God's love without it changing you. And John wants us to know the whole purpose he's writing this letter is, I want you to know for sure you have eternal life. 
So he's asking us, is your life marked by love? In fact, I'd say this as the worst team comes up and, we're, and as the ushers get ready to hand out communion, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together to end off this morning. But as, as we're doing that, I want, you to, I want you to hold your attention real quick. Don't check out on me yet because I got some important questions to ask. Here, here's some questions I want you to think about before we take communion together, before we celebrate the love of God for us. Here's the first question. How much do you love people? How much do you sacrifice for people? I mean, John says, if you see a need and you don't participate in seeing that need met, he goes, how would you say you have the love of Christ in you? When you're captivated by the fact that God poured out his love on you when you didn't deserve it, my question is this, how much are you pouring it out for others? How much do you love people? How much do you sacrifice for people? Here's another question you could ask. Is the trajectory of your life, is it to, 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 to love and serve people or is it to promote yourself? The trajectory of your life, is it to, to love and serve those around you or is it to promote yourself? Are, are you serving the mission of God or are you serving the mission of you more often? You see, Jesus left heaven to come down for, to, to earth, not, not just to come as a man, but to come as a man who was a humbled man, not just to be humble, but, but to come as one who was beaten and tortured, not just beaten and tortured, but to be hung on a cross for us in our place. As we hold the cup and the bread, that, that's what we're remembering. That's remembering what Christ did for us to change us, to transform us. And so the question that John would be asking is, man, does your life reflect this? Here's a third question I would ask. How quickly do you forgive? Do you place more value on, on nursing the wounds or, or do you place more value on seeing someone come to be restored to God and restored to you? How quickly do you forgive? It's in chapter four. We're gonna dive into what it means to love the world, but for now, the sign that God gives the world watching us is how much we're filled with love for each other. Now, this might send you into despair as you think through those questions and you're like, man, I don't know if I love enough. I mean, do I? I mean, the answer is no, we, we don't, right? We, we don't, which is, which is why the basis of our salvation is not on what we do, but it's based on the love of Christ for us, praise God, for that, that it's what he accomplished, what we celebrate now in the Lord's Supper. But as you believe that, you should see love growing in you. And what if you don't? What, what if you can't answer these questions well? What if you're not seeing that happen? What, what, what's the answer to this then? The answer is the answer I give every sermon. It's the answer I'll give every time I preach. The answer, the only answer that I've got for every, everything that's wrong with our heart. The answer is this, believe the gospel. 
Believe the good news of Jesus Christ that he came to bear our sin. To give us new life. Do you believe that? Are you resting in that? I mean, I, I started off this series talking about what does it mean to believe? It's like sitting on a, on a stool and I, I sat down on that stool saying, this is what it means to believe. You can stand beside it and talk all about it. But until you sit in it and rest in it, that, that shows you believe that the stool can hold you. And it's the same with Christ. You're either standing beside Christ or you're resting in him, in his finished work. So as you hold on to the cup, hold on to the bread that represents Christ's body given for you, his blood poured out from you, for you. Are you standing beside that or are you resting in that? Here's what one author, Richard, Richard Baxter, he was a Puritan, he said this about the love of God. He says, it's no small thing to be loved by God, to be the son, the daughter, the spouse, the beloved, the delight of the king of glory. Christian, believe this and think about it. You'll be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which has from everlasting and will extend to everlasting of the love which brought the Son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, beaten, spat upon, crucified, and pierced. Love which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, and died that love will internally embrace you. So this morning, as you hold on to the bread and the cup, as we get ready to take it together, are you in a posture of believing in this gospel? Are you in a posture of repentance this morning? Repentance where you say, you know what, I, I, I don't believe this, but I want to believe this. And, and you turn and you say, Jesus, you are Lord, I'm not. That's what a, a prayer of repentance is. Jesus, you're the one in charge. Maybe this morning for you, you need to pray not a prayer of repentance, but a prayer of belief. You say, Lord, I believe you finished the work of salvation and I'm taking it as mine. This morning, I'm going to give you a couple minutes before we actually take this together that you would make a move. You would make a move of repentance or belief or both. You say, Lord, I want to rest in you. I want my life to be a reflection of your love, your love demonstrated in what I'm about to partake in. You know, here's the hard part about the Lord's Supper. It's called communion. Why? Because we do it together. It's an action we take to demonstrate the love of God for us that's demonstrated throughout the family of God. Maybe there's somebody this morning that you're like, you know what, I have not poured out this love. I have not forgiven them. I have not walked out Christ's love for them. And you're about to participate in communion together. I would say this. Do not leave here this morning without beginning to make a move towards that person. Maybe it's something God's been pressing on your heart. Communion's a time to remember that. Is I need to make this right. Maybe it's someone you need to phone this afternoon. Maybe it's someone you need to write an email to. Maybe it's someone who's right here in this room and you've got to go up to them and say, man, I love you and I'm sorry. 
because we have the body of Christ represented. We have the blood of Christ represented, poured out for us. And so we want to live this out, captivated by this love, compelled to live it out. It says in scripture that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. The, the new covenant that means you can be made new and right, that we're captivated by this love of Christ, that we drink together right now, thanking God for his love poured out for us. Let's drink together. Would you stand with me as we sing?